Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. So May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm so excited if you haven't heard already. I'm bringing together several of my podcast guests over the past year to talk about ways to help you with your mental health. It all starts next Saturday at 9.30 a.m. You can jump on for one or all sessions. Just stick your earbud in and join us. It's free. When I've mentioned this summit to friends in the past week, everyone is saying, "Uh, that is so what I need right now. One of my friends even said, I could use this mental health summit now dealing with some of my family. So click the link below, save your seat, it's free, and think of one person you know who could use this and share it with them today. My guest on our show here now is William Meyer, and he'll be joining us next Saturday to launch our summit with a guided meditation. I cannot wait. William came on to one of my mindfulness lessons that I'm doing with kids after school on Zoom, and it was just It was so awesome. I think you're going to really enjoy William leading us in our guided meditation. So click the link below, sign up, show up, starts at 930 next Saturday, Eastern Standard Time. Come for one or all sessions. Put your earbud in. If you're shopping, if you're doing housework, I know what it's like. I do the same thing. I guarantee you will walk away with at least one thing that will help you in your own mental health. So give this as a gift to yourself. See you there. Bill Mayer is the author of two adventure chapter books for kids. He's also written a picture book for kids that leads them through a guided meditation on breathing. The book is called Big Breath. He also published a guide for meditation in the classroom called Three Breaths and Begin. He holds degrees from Dartmouth, Harvard, and a PhD from NYU in education, Bill, welcome to Momnificent. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited and thrilled to have you here because like I told you on the pre-call, I read your book, Big Breath, to a kindergarten class this week and I told them, he just wrote another book and I can't wait to come in and I'm going to talk to him tonight. And they were just like, whoa. So Bill, where are you enjoying Momnificent from today? Oh, I'm actually in Westchester, New York. And actually, I'm at my in-laws so that my children, which uh, who are five and two, uh, can uh, get to sleep quietly and without listening to me in the background. You can you can tell my voice is a little deep, so it has this tendency to sort of resonate, vibrate through the whole house. So <laughs> hopefully, this will work out well. I'm excited to to connect, though. You are the best. Thank you so much for joining me on this call. Um, So I love this question. What's one thing you've done recently that you may or may not have done uh, in a while that just brings you joy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, um, I actually, (laughs) as soon as you said that, I was thinking about nature, just getting outside, which which is not intentional to connect to the, the most recent book, although it is about nature. 
but I love getting outside. It's always hard in the Northeast in the winter. So we had a good, a good snowstorm last week and I got to go out sledding with my kids. And it's, as I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing how much I enjoy just hills and mountains and being out in the woods, um, with trees and, and honestly sledding in the woods and connecting with my kids. It's like a, a great way of doing all those things. Um, yeah. And more and more, and I can just see the difference within my own kids. It's like this, it's like a sensory reset that occurs when we get outside, you know, and I think probably a lot of parents, um, feel that way as well. There's something about nature and they talk about sort of the, the deficit of nature within a lot of kids and their experience. There's something about getting outside and connecting to nature that just sort of resets us, all of us. And um, yeah, I really felt that. So that was that was pretty cool. It was it's one of the highlights of having kids is being able to go sledding again. You know, it, <laughs> it's creepy if you're in, uh, yeah yeah. It's not good to go sledding by yourself. You know, when you're in your 30s, but it's okay when you have kids. Yeah. So I really enjoy it. So that's that's something just to get outside is great. And, and as adults, we work so hard, and like we have to plan for the fun times. And kids like have fun. A lot of the time and i think one time they said like kids laugh like 300 times in a day and adult laughs like five like hello like you need to deep belly laugh and it does feel so good when you finally do it so uh, and at, at our school we have an outdoor classroom and so the teachers can sign up and rotate and take the kids outside for a lesson activity what have you and i was thinking about it one day with how when you take kids outside the four walls when they raise their voices just a little bit in fun or laughter or talking, like it's not loud. It's, it's, it's okay. And, but inside the building and the four walls in the classroom, what do we use? Like use your level one voice and everything. So, you know, they have to really, really control and like keep things in. And I, and I just had that pure thought of like, when they're outside, they're just, it's okay. They can kind of just like be them and, and the whole world around them, like just, just absorbs it and, it, and it's okay. And it kind of like, I don't know, frees them up a little bit or gives them that, like you said, like outside and then they come back in and they just kind of like, can then sit down and like focus on their work or whatever. But it, it's just interesting stepping out. I, I always had teacher. this this vision, this dream, because I was a teacher in a classroom for about 15 years of just reversing the class. Like I had these beautiful windows. And I thought, you know what? We should just be like looking out these windows. Like I should be writing on these windows with Sharpies or something. Like, why are these students staring at a wall? And I and sort of building on what you said, so much research is showing. Like if you are just gazing on a wall and can see 20 feet. Like it just opens your mind and this idea of just expansion and creativity and curiosity. When a student's like daydreaming out the window, they're actually, this is like contemplation. They're in deep thought, you know, but we, we've moved so far away from that and we're so afraid of it, I guess, almost. Mm -hmm. But the idea of them actually being outside in a classroom is really powerful. My son actually, he attended a forest preschool. <gasps> And in part, we did that because of COVID. But honestly, after a month, it would, you know, put, put the pandemic aside. It was the best decision we ever made. And all the issues, concerns we had when he was three in preschool inside, every, everything changed. Everything changed. And uh, it was really inspiring. And just as an as a educator myself, it's like hard because I see sort of the 
structure and rigidity of education. And I think like it's a, it's a real deficit and default and a disservice to our, our kids. Mm -hmm. And actually in just connecting to the mindfulness meditation, maybe I'm getting ahead here. That, <laughs> Sorry, that's, go for it. <laughs> I love it. A, it's a way it's like, you know, I often think the outer world is a reflection of the inner world. So it's like this way when we, we take kids into meditative states or within themselves or drop them in, it's like you, you're able to then go into that expansive place, even though they're sitting within a classroom or behind a desk. And that, that in some way is like almost a little bit of salvation in the midst of all the, the brick walls and stuff. So actually, as you described that classroom, I'm like, wow, how cool would it be to also meditate outside in that classroom, right? Like right? the, the sounds and the, the animals outside. and the birds, so powerful. And, and I just learned recently that if, if um, when you're outside, you're automatically in like a full peripheral. So all of your senses are open naturally because of just the expansion of, of being outdoors. So inside, I taught this to a fourth grade class a couple weeks ago, to, to actually bring, have your mind be able to absorb all the information your teacher is teaching you or they're writing on, on the board. You, you, put, you look up towards where like the wall and the ceiling meet so you bring your gaze up that high and then because that opens up your peripheral more than just gazing straight in front of you and then if you just simply bring your gaze down to the teacher or or the instructor or the or or the smart board you actually are in this open state where the information coming in actually can really register and you can learn and remember things better and naturally when you go outdoors it happens naturally yeah isn't that amazing you, you look so up fascinating to me it's and I, I often think like, you know, when we stop seeing the stars, we lost a little bit of ourselves. And when we stopped having kids on actually the earth, like crazy thing is a lot of it's astroturfed. Like especially in the in the upper grades, the secondary level, kids go out to play and it's on an astroturf field, right? Like Amen. and I think this idea it's rebuilding on that openness. It's like if we can be grounded and rooted, if we can feel the earth beneath our feet and, and kids can feel that, and they can look up as you're just as you're saying and describing, and they can see the clouds, they can see the stars. Like there's something about that that brings them back into themselves, their fullest selves. Yeah. Which to me is really the the ultimate goal and the direction of what education should be. It yeah. should be an engagement of the whole self, not yes. these compartments that we've you know, which, identified or valued. Yes, and also to foster creativity, which we're losing, losing more of a and 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 thinking on your own, exploring, questioning, um, uh, uh, finding information about things that interest you because you you've asked a question or you've or have looked yes. at and explored something long enough that 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 you want to find out more about it. Like, oh, all of that is just really. And, and then if you think of being outside in that expansive visual sort of state. And then now it made me think of what what have we done more of gone to like the Chromebook like it's that's even more focused our phone that's even a more focused lens like like there's something to be said about being able to be a, like see and be aware in that peripheral anyway. absolutely right like we follow the body in many ways and you're right everything's narrowed yeah so much is narrowed in education like as we look down we look inward you kind of like talk walk through that like we just did so um bill maybe you can take uh, my listeners and i through like a brief brief little journey like i know you got into mindfulness meditation at an early age and then and then and then some kids 
in high school knew found out that you kind of were into that and they kind of asked you like if you could do oh it was like it was a uh, research project right <laughs> that's right okay so walk us through that because <laughs> i think that's so that's a fascinating story so i don't know how but probably when i was like 12 <laughs> or 13 i got into meditation and i uh <laughs> i think i was having trouble sleeping and i i found a book in the library decided to try it on my own I think I put, I, I sat down, had a candle in my bedroom, put my dad's like Yanni CD on or something. I swear I can like remember the song, put it on, fell right to sleep. Like, I, you know, and this happened multiple times. And then my uncle found out that I was trying to meditate and he decided to take me to meet one of his friends who was a Buddhist monk in, in Detroit. Total side note, I actually reconnected with him the other day. That, that same monk is 81, really amazing a man and individual inspiration. But I remember, I won't go into the details of that first encounter, but what I will say is I remember the feeling that I got being with this person and thinking, this is a feeling I want to embody myself. Wow. And that was really like my, my, my introduction to meditation, like that seemed to me the bridge between where I was at and what, th and what this person was resonating embodying like that. That's what I wanted. A sense of peace, a sense of wisdom, insight, knowing, uh, and really just like comfortable being in themselves in a way that I had an experience with someone before. So yeah, my meditation journey between then and actually teaching like ebbed and flowed. But what was interesting as I got into the classroom, I found myself drawn back into meditation for a whole host of reasons. I think the biggest one was it just like one the days I meditated, things just flowed better. And um, by chance, a group of students got wind of meditation. Probably, I mean, I was a history teacher, and they they I was probably talking about Eastern religions and going off. And so they invited me to be part of this science experiment, which we did. It was like six weeks, eight weeks. And then at the end, they're like, you want to keep doing this? I'm like, sure. And so we started meeting at lunch. And then it was, and I know this for sure, because it was right around December 2012, when we thought the world was going to end or whatever that Y2K. was. Y2K. Was it yeah. that one? Or? It, oh it, the, the, yeah, it was something like that. Something. And, they're like, and they're like, will you guide a meditation? And I was like, okay never done it had, had no training and and you listed all the degrees i have i'm totally like i have no professional training in guiding meditations but it just it just did it i just did it and um it really something happened that day and then the next time we did it again and then it just grew from there and that circle met continuously for like eight years every Wednesday and then we would have people come in secretaries teachers the students it would be 27 people it would be seven people it didn't matter the the circle was always open on those Wednesdays ran and then parents wanted to be a part of it so I ran a parents group for six years in the evenings Thursday nights um and it just became it, it, obviously the inspiration for this these books this writing and it became a big part of my life. And, and actually it was always a big part of my life. I should say it became a big part of my professional life. Yeah. And I, I imagine I, who whoever is listening, like there are aspects of ourselves we sometimes feel we can't bring into our professional spaces. Uh, but I, what I really found is as I did more of this work and was honest about that, I just was a fuller and a better version of myself, both 
personally and professionally. And it, it took my teaching and my work to a level I never, ever could have imagined. Wow. And so then what, how did you have the idea for uh, Big Breath, the, the picture book? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it's funny because the first two books I wrote, which you mentioned, were like time travel books. And it wasn't until later I reflected and I realized in, in those books, this boy traveled through a portal. Um, and then and when I was reflecting back on uh, big breath and healing breath, I was like, whoa, you know, the breath is the portal. Like we have the access to go to these places within ourselves. Like we and we literally can sort of move across time and space when we go into these meditative states, these guided meditations. Well, the inspiration came when my publisher heard that I had been leading meditations and they were like, well, would you write a book for teachers? So that led to three breaths. And at the end of those chapters, we had these like micro meditations, guided meditations. And they said, why don't you take one of those and we'll like unfold it into a book. And that is where um, Big Breath came out of. And then uh, eventually healing breath and you know I yeah we'll see where it goes from here I love it and your manual or guide to mindfulness in the classrooms through that um, title but the name of the what's oh three, oh, three breaths, breaths. yeah I mean right? <laughs> you Is can that, see there's not a lot of originality <laughs> hey <laughs> a lot of breaths uh, people like breaths. simplicity it's 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 easy to remember um is that something parents could use too or is it Definitely, oh, okay. Definitely. So how is it structured? Like if no one, if maybe just say something about it, maybe someone wants to look it up. Cool. Um, it's structured with it, really the first part of that book sort of lays out the foundational components of meditation. So it talks about space. It talks about time. Um, it talks about different types of meditations. And then the second half of the book, each chapter focuses sort of on a different setting. The classroom, parents are included, crisis, uh, community. Uh, so that's the way it unfolded. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really wild book to write because I had gotten the contract and we had the idea and um, I ended up having heart surgery, which was pretty wild. I mean, it was some, I don't know, something I was born with that they discovered and I had open heart surgery and I came out of that surgery and I still had this book to turn in, you know? But I honestly think that experience, because literally it was heart opening, totally deepened and changed what was sort of infused within the pages of that book. That's amazing. And I remember the last day of writing it, at least the first draft, and I was with my wife at a coffee shop and I was like finishing up the last chapter and I finished it. And we had gone to a concert the night before and it was someone we really enjoyed. It was the first concert I've been out at since my surgery. And um, I just go, I go outside. I was like, had this strong feeling. I need to just go for a walk. And I went outside and there was the musician like walking down the street. It was like this really, and he, we, I met him and we talked and then I introduced him to my wife. And it was like all of these things sort of aligned. And I really did feel like three breaths had that alignment. And I wow. think actually going back to the title, and I think this is true for a parent or a teacher, three breaths is a meditation. Like three simple breaths is a full meditation. And and that's important to remember. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. And we, we talk, you just mentioned that, right? Like we've got to keep it simple. Um, 
and and I think what and I was just talking to a group of seventh graders today about intentions and uh, intentions for the year. We were talking about the year and why people don't aren't able to, you know, essentially keep their resolutions yes. or their goals. So true. And it's like keep it simple, like keep it simple and keep it small, and yeah. then it will build. Yeah. And I think that's true of writing. If there's a story you feel you have to share, I think it's true of starting meditations in the classroom or your own personal practice. Like, don't start with 20 minutes, start with two minutes, you know, and then you just builds from there. And um, yeah, that's really the portal into the, these, like, you know, our, our potential and these things we hope to embody. So why do you think it's so important to teach our kids about mindfulness and meditation? Yeah, I think, and this is important. I I obviously embody this. I've been I've been in this practice, but I really think and there's a distinction. This is the doorway to something deeper. It's it's like it's it's not the end game, but I think it offers a path to like a, a whole world that we aren't accessing. So I, I, of course, I advocate it because you know you you know all the benefits. They're they're well published. Anxiety re- reduces anxiety, helps with sleep, behavior, focus, all that stuff. But what I've always seen is the most powerful. It is that heart opening. I mean, I've seen students share things they never would share. I've seen and felt a connection in a class that I haven't felt with people who are some of my closest friends. And I've also seen students tap into knowing sense of knowing. Uh, that they otherwise, you know, I just don't know where that would exist. So I think all of the things that sort of circulate that we hear so much about, about the benefits are actually just the tip of the iceberg. Like when you really get involved in this work and if kids, kids are so close to themselves, we almost educate them out of themselves over the years. I agree. And you want to keep them as close and as open as possible for as long as you possibly can. And I always give this example. If I go into a kindergarten class, I'm like, who's an artist? Everyone raises their hand. And I work with seniors in high school. I, our freshmen, I say, who's an artist? I'd be lucky to get two kids to raise their hand. So what, what's going on? And I think mindfulness meditation, it's like it's pause. But it's more than a pause. It's like a deeper connection to ourselves. And in doing so, we're able to connect more fully to others. So you know, that's, there's just infinite possibility. And I think it's, it's a really powerful tool um, that's available. And if a parent is listening or a guardian or anyone who works with kids, and they're just not sure how or where to start with all this, what would you tell them? You know, I would be open. And I would start when the moment presents itself. And what that might look like is, you know, your child's upset, they're sitting in the back seat, you're like, hey, let's take a breath together, you know, or uh, you're walking, you're going for a walk or something, and you pause, you're like, let's just take a deep breath. But I think as authentic and is connected to the moment and the need is the place to begin. Of course, you could, you could, you know, hey, before bed, let's take a breath before, you know, we pull up the sheets or even when the sh- they're, they're tucked in, and bad, that's that's a place, but start simply. And once you learn how to breathe, most kids know how to breathe, it's the adults who don't, um, then the next breath and the next breath and the next breath come effortlessly. But I would just start with that one breath and I would embody that and start with yourself. 
Like if you really want, if you're thinking your kids need it, it's probably, I, I mean, not, no judgment, but we all need it, but it's a good chance. Like maybe <laughs> you can't, it's, and this is true of teachers and I work with teachers. You can't teach something you don't have. It's very hard to do. It can happen, but it's hard. So start with your own practice and keep it simple, simple as possible. Uh, with my own personal practice today, I just tell myself, like, I'm going to do eight minutes of meditation. I usually, I usually do like 11 minutes. I know this because I use the same videos over and over. 11 minutes of breath work before I meditate. So it's maybe 20 minutes total. But if I can't do the breath work, I just try to, my goal is always eight minutes a day, eight minutes a day, because it's something I can do. Right. And then maybe every once in a while, I'll go to a deeper meditation, a longer one. But I find the benefit is much richer with the consistency of the practice versus going on these huge marathon meditations and then not coming back to it for a week or a month or wherever that is. So start simple, keep it, keep it easy. And honestly, your kids will probably tell you to take a breath soon. <laughs> you can blame me for that one. I know my own son's always like, Dad, take a breath, take a breath. <laughs> they do. They do. I've heard kids say that. I've heard parents say that about their kids. Yes. All right. So lastly, um, let's pretend you have the ear of every parent in the world right now at this moment. What's one thing you'd like to leave with them today? It's, well, I'd almost like to have like an ear that could hear all the parents in the world because I feel like there is so much I could learn. And, and I, I don't really feel like I have the authority to offer. So I think like, I, I feel more comfortable maybe if I was, if I actually had my own ear, like if there's one thing I could tell myself that I could hear, I think, and I, I almost think this is like the lesson of the pandemic. And sometimes I embody it and sometimes I don't, but it's go slow, just go slow, like slow it down. And coming back to the meditation, that's like one of the first things I always have students as we become more aware of the breath, we slow the breath. And as the breath slows, like the whole body begins to just like calm and relax. And, and actually so much of these last few years have been about the breath, right? Trying to find our breaths. It's challenging, you know, not be and there's social justice. There's all these things connected to the breath but just slowing down. I'm not sure we need to rush back into what once was because at least in education, there, there's real problems with what it was. <laughs> like maybe we can find a new way forward in a way that sort of honors the pace and the unfolding of kids' lives in a more patient and understanding way. So I think, yeah, go slow, go slow would be my advice. And maybe I should take it more often myself. It's funny because um, the other day my husband was like, you just came home from work and you're like, you're like going crazy. Like, and, and he doesn't live in my world, you know, so then I bring my world to him, you know, and he's like, you know, got just, you know, just kind of opening my eyes to just seeing it from his perspective because he, he hasn't been in all day. He hasn't connected with it. Like I've lived it in the drama of all that's going on. And I literally was like, I just need to slow down. And it's funny that you said that because that is exactly what I needed to do to just reconnect with myself, yeah. withdraw myself from, unplug from, from the drama and the stress and, the, and, 
and the needs and the things that are and aren't working or what we need. And um, yeah, so thank you so much. Yes. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Slow, slow down. So I would like to ask you to read your new picture book, Healing Breath, that was just published November 2021. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. And then, and what led you to write this, this now, this book? How, how is this different than, than um, Big Breath and what, what led you to, what, what inspired you and why is this book so important right now? Yeah. Um, you know, Big Breath is really like a, a guided meditation um, that explores meditation, I think, and just the practice. And as you read it, um, a listener or a, a child can sort of go into that meditation, like the tools and, and the pieces. And there's, um, I'd almost say it's like a generalist. I don't even know if that's the right term of meditation, or this is more of like a genre. And I think, I think, well, the big reason that inspired me, and this definitely connects to the pandemic, is it was like, I don't know, about a month or two after we'd been in lockdown, my son was just really struggling, struggling with Zoom. And, uh, you know, I think I, I it just had a like challenging afternoon trying to get him to nap and all that stuff. He was maybe four years old. I thought, I just got to get him outside. And this this actually loops back to the sledding comment. And I took him outside and we went for a hike. So like after 30 minutes, this was a different kid. Like all of a sudden he was curious. He was like, just, just like totally different, totally different. And we just started going out. And that was like the only thing we could do. I mean, and that was part of it. It was the only safe thing at that time. No one knew what. You just knew stay away from others. Yeah. And uh, we we must have gone on every hike in the lower Hudson Valley. And the, the crazier the hike, the more excited he was and the better it was. And I thought, oh, my God, how did I not see this? This connection between nature and meditation and ourselves and kids. And, uh, you know, I reached out. I, I Actually, the meditation just came out. It was, like, pretty effortless. And I wrote it down, and then I shared it with my publisher and my agent and then my illustrator and yeah, it just came together. And I think there is a lot of anxiety amongst kids around the planet and, but there's also a lot of power and healing and connecting to the planet. So just as we were saying earlier, it's like, let's keep kids connected to themselves. Let's also keep them connected to this natural world. And I think that's the inspiration. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.